0: to the bloke and a bird show
1: you're late
0: yes we we made a conscious decision to record late um and not because the race was significantly delayed enough that our craptastic DVR from the No, I don't even want to say the fine folks at Xfinity. The folks at Xfinity that do not allow me to extend the recording beyond an hour. So when a race is delayed (laughs) three hours, we don't see it. Yes. But that's not why we're late. So when we last left.
1: The very long show.
0: Yes. Yes we you know we talked about the rumors around the the cost cap and what was going on and we were expecting well not expecting we were supposed to get an update from the FIA of when at when on Wednesday of last week and the FIA punted
1: well they said that the Ink wasn't dry on their report.
0: No, they said, we're not going to release it till Monday. That's all they said. We're going to delay the release of this until the following Monday, which of course sent the rumor mills through the roof. Well, that's what rumor mills do. Mm -hmm. Well, even more so because here you have alleged infractions of the cost cap the, and this is supposed to come out the week before likely the Drivers' Championship is going to get decided. And folks are going, why would you delay this unless there's an issue?
1: Not true.
0: So knowing that if we recorded after our missed opportunity around the race on Sunday... We wouldn't get this up until after the report was released. So we waited, and as a result, we do have, in fact, breaking news.
1: But it's not breaking because by the time you edit this and get it up, everybody in the entire Twitterverse will have weighed in an armchair driver-sided pit wall, you know, Tuesday morning pit wall, whatever you would call armchair quarterbacking after the fact.
0: It is breaking news because we are talking about it within hours of it being announced. For us, that counts as breaking.
1: Except in the podcast world, it's all time shifted and delayed.
0: Don't take this away from me!
1: Is my job.
0: (laughs) Do not take this away from me.
1: This is my job.
0: So, Monday has rolled around and the FIA, you know, if the FIA knew what they were doing around this and was going to try and diminish (laughs) the impact of this announcement, number one, they wouldn't have pushed it to Monday. I mean clearly they tried they put it at the they they released it at 5 p.m. well about 4:30 p.m. UK time but if you know if you have ever watched the west wing you know, you know it goes in the friday dump yeah you you do it the friday dump at 5 p.m. just before you declare the lid on coverage That's when you release it, not on Monday, even if you do it towards the end of the day. But oh no.
1: But wait, wait. I think you have to deal with the fact that in West Wing World, they're dealing with a Monday through Friday schedule. That's why you put the lid on it on Friday evening. However, in the world of F1 on a race weekend, the lid comes off on Thursday and goes on on Sunday. So they actually participated by the West Wing rules of putting it in the dump right after all the news
0: coverage. Well, okay, then by that, what they should have done was made the announcement Sunday night about an hour or two after the end of the Grand Prix at, you know, and buried it in the news about the championship, not the day after.
1: Well, yes. You know,
0: dump it while everybody is on the Shinkansen to Tokyo. Mm -hmm. or in the air from Tokyo, that's when you dump it.
1: Exactly.
0: Not the next day.
1: But they waited.
0: So what we have found out is that not one, not two, but three teams, and I know, again, going back to the Twitterverse and what they're saying, the Twitterverse is focusing on two. There was actually three teams that failed to get their certificate of compliance. Now, we know that one of those teams, Williams, not only um, didn't get their certificate of compliance, they already were fined $25,000. Um, theirs was a procedural violation. They failed to turn in their pa- the required paperwork on time. So, this
1: is just a lesson for all of you people who turned in your homework late in high school. It does not fly.
0: Mm-hmm. At least with the FIA, it does not fly. So they got uh, fined for that. That that has been announced what their penalty is. The other two teams, as expected, because Williams was really kind of the surprise. We mm-hmm. weren't expecting, and a lot of folks aren't talking about Williams because it is kind of minor. I mean, the fact that they turned in the paperwork late, there's no competitive advantage there. <laughs> that was just crap. Bill forgot to bring them over. Yeah. So, But Williams aside, the other two teams, as expected, were Aston Martin and Red Bull. So. Let's start with Aston Martin first.
1: I was going to.
0: Okay.
1: Because you had said last week that you would not be surprised if Aston Martin was a major uh, violator of the cost cap because of what Lawrence Stroll has reportedly been pouring into new facilities. Mm Mm-hmm. Was he the material, was Aston Martin the material um, violation?
0: Actually, no. What we know is that Aston's violation was procedural. We don't know what that procedural was, but they were hit with a procedural violation. We think, it, and again, don't know, it may be something to do specifically with accounting irregularity. That you know they didn't properly tag something or label something or something along those lines, but that one appears to be procedural. So again, probably not something that would have given them a competitive advantage.
1: Well, okay, so we're assuming that the uh, the gobs of cash that are being flown into flooded into the new facilities, is not causing a competitive advantage. Now, you said that Aston Martin and Red Bull. Now, could I be ever so hopeful that Red Bull was the material damage, the material uh, overage in the cost cap?
0: No. (sighs) However, Red Bull was, so Red Bull had two violations here. One was procedural, and we don't and again appears to be related to accounting issues, but a minor violation of the cost cap. So what a minor by definition is less than five they've gone over the cost cap by less than five percent. So about 7.85 million not more than 7.85 million dollars. We don't know what the exact number is.
1: Dollars or euros?
0: um i thought it was dollars yes it's dollars because okay. isn't the cost cap 145 million dollars I don't not remember euros? i was
1: just double checking
0: yeah 145 million dollars
1: okay now I get okay so minor because they were within the five percent wiggle room is that
0: it's not really wiggle room Because if you're in that window for minor, there are penalties associated with it.
1: Could they get disqualified from the 2021 season?
0: Stop. Oh. (laughs) Again, you got to think big picture here and, and what's happening here. But a minor overspend breach could lead to an accepted breach agreement between the FIA and Red Bull that could be published. Or if Red Bull doesn't agree with the settlement... Um, there is the cost cap adjudication panel that could decide on the penalties. But penalties can include a public reprimand, deduction of constructors or driver's championship points, exclusion from events, limitations on aero testing, or a fine. Now, there is an expectation that at the very least, a fine will be levied. Now, we don't know how much that fine would be. And we don't even know how they would calculate that fine.
1: Well, you gotta figure and I could I could see that at the very least a fine would be levied, um, because Williams has already gotten a fine. They mm-hmm. have a procedural, so if they're gonna find procedurals, they're gonna get a fine for their procedural problem. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna make a I'm gonna make a prediction. An ancillary prediction to our list of predictions. They're gonna get a public reprimand. That's what they're gonna get.
0: Well and that becomes the question. And, and, and a lot of teams are standing up, and a lot of folks are standing up and going, you know, this is a real test for the FIA here. And it's a real test for Formula One. Because if the fine is 25 $50,000, and a public reprimand because this is the first time that it's happened and nobody knows what it's going to look like, there's no deterrence here any other team to stomp on. And, and that's something that Ferrari, Mattia Binotto was very quick to jump out and say, look, we need to clamp down. And, and, and Zach Brown has come out and, and several of the other teams and team principals have come out and said, look, this has to be handled the right way because yes, we get that, that this is the first time and we've got to figure this out and everybody's learning. But if the penalty is not stiff enough, it will not be a deterrent to future breaches in the cost cap. And especially when you look at the fact that this was the team that won the Drivers' Championship. If that penalty is not severe enough, it is not a deterrent for teams to stay under the cost cap.
1: I completely and totally agree. My argument is actually, I mean, I predict they will get a reprimand. Unfortunately, I don't think that's going to be enough to change things. But my argument is this. Breaking the cost cap in one year has a knock-on effect into the next year Mm -hmm. because these are evolutionary type upgrades and modifications. So yeah, we we could be talking less than $7.8 million and that doesn't, in the world of F1, that's a drop in the bucket and I get it, but when we're talking about a front wing could be $2 million, that's three more front wings, that's, that's significant. That could be one more wing that got tested in 21 that's affected exactly. 22 um,
0: exactly.
1: results. And that's the part that really kind of bothers me is it's not just that it was the team that won the Drivers' Championship under controversy last year. It's also the team that has essentially run away with the Drivers and Constructors Championship
0: mm-hmm.
1: in the immediate year following the breach.
0: You know, if this overspend allowed them, regardless of where it was, I mean, let, let, let's say it was marketing. Let, let's say. Oh, well, it's always blame no, marketing. No. <laughs> s- s- stay with me on this one. Let's say that this was that they spent an extra $4 million than they should have on infrastructure work in the Red Bull Energy Station in a se- section that they use to entertain potential sponsors. That's $3 million or $4 million that should have been deducted from their engineering development or some other part of their program that wasn't properly deducted. And as a result, they were able to spend more on engineering or they were able to spend more on something that could give them, they were able to, to potentially spend more on replacement parts for damage that happened during the race season.
1: Okay. I I understand your logic and I'm following your logic. mm mm-hmm. I'm going to point out your flaw in your logic. Okay. But bear with me because we're going to make a detour to get to my point. <clears throat> okay. Do you remember playing the game Railroad Tycoon? Yeah. And when you started that game up, you were given an, an amount of money mm-hmm. that then you had to allocate to stuff. hmm Okay. Now, we're going to stop the game right there. <clears throat> Let's just say that that amount of money that you were given at the beginning of that game was your cost cap. Now, there were no rules in the game that said you had to spend all $140 million on engineering, for example. I mean, if you could do it with the way the cost cap is set up, you could spend $139 million on marketing and $1 million on your engineering program. Mm -hmm. Probably not the best and wisest choice but your point is they played with something south of 7.8 million dollars extra that no other team on the grid played with correct that and you will never be able to argue whether or not that single spend extra bought them the championship got them one more thing down the road, did one more wind tunnel test, one more Mm -hmm. whatever that couldn't be replicated by another team because they stayed within the cost gap. One could argue that the very implication that there is a minor and material difference, like the difference between 7.7 million versus 7.86 million, that that very distinction is already the fia punting that these little little changes aren't going to be worthy of major violations and breaches and it's going to make the cost cap essentially creep up they're going to what i believe will happen is that they're going to get a reprimand and matteo bonotto is going to be right it's there's no teeth to not going up to the top end of the minor breach Mm -hmm. and then every team that has the cash will go to the top end of the minor breach going, well, there's no teeth here in this.
0: Well, what we, what we, one thing that we don't know, and, and I will say it, it will moderate my stance a little bit if we know a little bit more. We don't know what the exact number is. Because, you know, if the exact number that they went over is about is, is $10,000, all right, fine, I don't care. Give them a reprimand. $10,000, whoopee-doo, you know, Next time, order fewer hamburgers for, for catering. I mean, if it's $10,000, there's no way you're going to convince me that you're getting a significant—at one of these teams, you're getting a significant competitive advantage with, you know, $10,000. If it's over a million, hell, if it's over 500000 I would say that there is a potential that there was a competitive advantage there. And yeah, the FIA needs to step in at that point. Well, my but we don't argument, have these details yet.
1: My argument would be the tipping point in my mind would be when the amount over equals the price of a single major component to the car, and that's the way I'm thinking about it. Sure. Does it? Does it? The equal front the, wing. The front wing. Could you have redesigned <laughs> a front wing for that price?
0: I'm not even going to go with redesign.
1: Well, could you have added? Repl-
0: an, The replacement cost. Mm
1: -hmm. Could you have uh, tested a rear wing for that price? Could you have sucked up an extra engine? Yeah. Because you took the penalty during the year, but you still had to pay for that engine. Mm -hmm. Um, That's the kind of thing that I think becomes, in my mind, and I know that's not the legal term for it, but that's when it becomes material to me.
0: Yes. Well, in this case, it... Given that this is all about the overspend and the competitive, the the potential competitive advantage that that overspend gave the team, if there was any potential of any new parts that they should not have been able to afford anything, you know, they were able to repair something and because they, they, they sucked up the added cost of the repairs and didn't deduct it from their other budgets or something like that that they were able to continue development that is material Mm -hmm. and when you're talking formula one and and, you know you look at the the differences between the qualify the final qualifying times going into this weekend that we were a hundredth of a second off it doesn't take much for there to be a material impact on the performance of the car And it's a lot less than $7.85 million.
1: Well, when you know that, you know, the decals on the car can get you fractions
0: of seconds. Mm -hmm.
1: The wax they use to clean the car.
0: How about the fact that we had teams removing paint from the car earlier this season to get them underweight? Yeah. But, so... And and actually, b- before I even harp on on this topic a little more, l- l- let's point out. So, Red Bull has released a statement, and I'll I'll share their statement. It went out on Twitter, and it is getting mixed responses, Ooh. as I'm sure you could imagine. Ooh, mixed responses on Twitter. So. They, they put out a statement that said, we note the findings of the FIA of minor overspend breaches of the financial regulations with surprise and disappointment. They're shocked. Shocked, I tell you. Sorry. um, Our 2021 submission was below the cost cap limit, so we need to carefully review the FIA's findings as our belief remains that the relevant costs are under the 2021 cost cap amount. Despite the conjecture and positioning of others, there is, of course, a process under the regulations with the FIA, which we will respectfully follow while we consider all the options available to us. And this is where, all right, I I, I kind of expect them to put out a statement like this, but I got to say, you either spent more than you should have or you didn't.
1: Oh, see, this to me is telling. Mm -hmm. This to me is telling because this just told, this is the way I see the the process happening. This is like our tax returns. I sit down and I do our taxes. And on the surface, our tax returns are simple. Our employers paid us X amount. We get Y deductions. X minus Y equals Mm -hmm. adjusted gross income. There's a tax rate associated with that. I pay the tax. That's, you know, it does not get as simp- any simpler than that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: However, our friends at the IRS can then turn around and they can go, hey, you know those deductions you took? We don't think that deduction right there is good. Well, yeah. And that's what they're saying. They're saying, we submitted paperwork that all looked right. And just short of there being a math, error, which is also possible... Just short of that, we think that we took all the appropriate deductions we were supposed to take, and the FIA has found something in their audit that said, "nah."
0: Well, and, and, and that's that's I think exactly what Red Bull's argument is going to be of. Well, you know, you're counting this thing that we counted as
1: outside the gap, outside of the cap. The, and-
0: the, yeah, the, this this was marketing for Red Bull drinks, not engineering work so you shouldn't be counting that because it was for red bull drinks not for the f1 team and the fia is going well no because these things happened and this happened and that said it was more beneficial for the team than it was for the drinks company so well that that's what what i think that this is going to boil down to is that argument
1: and i think it'll be very interesting and The question becomes, what will we know versus what will the teams get told and Mm -hmm. all of these bits and pieces that are all um, hush, hush, shush, shush. But it's very interesting because you and I had another conversation this week about um, a road car race. And I forgot the team that was sending... It was Alpine.
0: Oh, it It wasn't a road car race. It was was an event in Japan promoting Alpine's... uh, race uh, or one of alpine's new sports cars and road race cars
1: right and the statement that you you know you're telling me about this oh that sounds Mm -hmm. interesting and oh they sent their drivers their f1 drivers to this event and then we start you know then we're playing conjecture and you know side (laughs) side sideline accounting over here we're like well i wonder how they account for that because well it's an F1 driver but they're at an event that's promoting something outside of F1. So could they be getting around the cost cap by doing an appearance fee outside of their contr- their F1 mm-hmm. contract, you know, have these appearance fees. And so I made the blunt comment. I said, "Oh, well then you could have a driver that's got a 20 million dollar a total package deal, but only a million of that is F1 drive, you know, we're gonna pay you a well, million dollars to drive the F1 car, but we're gonna make sure and ensure that you have $19 million in appearance fees. Well, the, the,
0: the way they do that is, is first of all, they, they write into the contract for the drivers that your marketing responsibilities include not just support for the Formula One team, but for these brands that are affiliated with the team. However, the event itself that, that we were talking about here Yeah, they may have had the drivers at it. They may have had the team principals at it. They may have had the F1 team's sponsors at it, and it may have been to cater to the F1 team sponsors. However, it was hosted by the motor car side of the house. It was the sports car that was sitting there, so it was technically an event put on by the sports car and motor car and road car side of the house, not the F1 team. So all of those costs get charged to the road car side of the house, not the F1, because they hosted it, but they used assets from other parts of the organization.
1: So here's the, here's the question I've got. If there's any revenue associated... Okay, so I, I get costs mm-hmm. are going to get uh, aligned to the motor car because it was a motor car event. Mm-hmm. But if there's any revenue that comes in as a part of that event, if that revenue crosses the streams, that revenue then gets sucked into a, a, a revenue stream that then funds part of the F1 team. Well,
0: see, but the, the problem is, though, since this is this is a promotional event, Even if there are sponsors there, how do you then associate that, you know, Microsoft, whoever, I don't know, um, that they signed a deal to sponsor the F1 team because they went to this road car event and were wined and dined at the road car event? you, You have to be able to draw that connection and you can't.
1: Well... Okay, there are some pretty smart boffins in the marketing world and it's called the attribution model. And yes, we do that all the time. However, that's not the way that math, that's not the math I'm thinking about. So you've got an F1 sponsor. You've got Mm -hmm. Bob's Big Boy Barbecue is the F1 sponsor for Mm -hmm. Alpine. And they get asked to then collaterally sponsor outside the agreement for their F1 sponsorship. As part of this road car. You know, you'll get the invite to the road car. You'll get your name out. It's it's a clear. Guess what? All of your F1 drivers are going to be at this event. Wouldn't you like to throw a couple of thousand dollars into this deal? So now we've got revenue coming in from the same sponsor that's on the F1 side. Now, the cost for their appearance fee, well, it doesn't really cost the team anything, but it also doesn't make the team anything. It doesn't advance engineering. It doesn't do that. And it all it does is say, well, unless we explode the appearance fee to essentially be a total package deal for the driver freeing up money for engineering that's the only way that benefits the team to do it yeah, that way
0: and and you know the the folks at sky who actually were at the event were like we're very clear this is not something that comes under the cost cap and it is alpine cars and yes f1 folks are there and yes f1 sponsors are there but it is alpine cars it is not the team right so they've already got that worked out so uh, uh, us diving down that wormhole
1: (laughs) well yeah the only thing i can say is i think that there's a there's the potential of disingenuousness if i was a ton of it if i was to tell you hey For the podcast, I'll pay you a million dollars total package. But because I've got a cost cap, you're going to get paid a dollar to do the podcast. But I need you to do one event where you're out in public and you're going to get $999,999 for that one event. But your total package is a million dollars. But I'm only going to count for paying you a dollar for the podcast because our podcast cost cap is five bucks that's the math that's how you free up four extra dollars for engineering is all of a sudden Alonzo's full paycheck is actually in appearance fees and not to drive the car
0: yeah and I don't know how that works I don't know how that's been engineered to, to to function so I don't want to dive down into that because I don't know how it works okay and I don't know if they're actually doing that and if that's the, the defense that Red Bull is going to put up or if they're going to put something else up. So we're making assumptions here, and, and, and I don't want to do that just
1: yet. Well, everybody in the Twitterverse has. Why shouldn't we?
0: Yeah, but they're not going down to that, in that direction yet. So let's... let let let's, Well, wait till they hear our show. Yeah, let, let's stay away from that right now because, you know, we, we had a rain-delayed race in Singapore and how it was handled was frustrating yes and we wanted to to rant about that in the last show I and mean, we went really long now what was awesome was that we went to Suzuka and it rained again and F1 gave us a reason to get annoyed about the rain process again <laughs> I really appreciate that I was, I mean, I was concerned that I would forget and something would happen and i get distracted. But no.
1: This is why Bernie wanted sprinklers on the tracks.
0: Not completely. No, really. No. What, what, <laughs> Bernie wanted sprinklers on the tracks, not because F1 and the FIA's procedures around racing in the rain suck. It's because he wanted, he, a, a wet race can cause unpredictability in the race itself, and especially changing conditions. I mean, we love it when we have changing conditions in a race because nobody can figure out what to do with their strategies. But that's not the issue.
1: Well, nobody figuring out what's going on is the
0: issue. Well, that's problem number one. Problem number two, and it's actually the first problem I have, and, and was really a big deal in Singapore. From what it sounds like, it was less of an issue... In Suzuka, But it was also an issue when we were in Monaco, in addition to a major failure of all of their systems. And it it begs the question of, why does Formula One have full wet tires?
1: (laughs) That is a really great question.
0: And yes, I know this weekend there was some running because we started under the safety car. And it's the requirement, or at least I'm assuming we started under the safety car. So we didn't see the damn race. Um, But... Um, Not
1: that he's bitter or anything.
0: When you start under a safety car in wet conditions, full wet tires are mandatory. But you know the question that we heard all weekend in or all Sunday in Singapore, leading up to that race, is okay. Yes, it's wet, but we have full wet tires and we have really good drivers. Why not go out on the full wet tires? And then all we heard in Suzuka in, in. Admittedly, Martin Brundle wasn't in Suzuka, which was odd, even though he was in Singapore. And it was Martin who kept making the point about the full wet tires. But all we heard in Suzuka was, well, you know, we really don't want to run the full wet tires. The window's really narrow, and, you know, you burn through them really quick because this is an abrasive service. So the inters are really the better option. Again, If we don't want to run the wet tires, and we're doing everything we can to avoid running on the wet tires, why do we have wet tires?
1: Think about the budget changes that would happen if we weren't hand-making wet tires.
0: Especially when you consider the fact that Pirelli manufactures by hand, because that's all of the tires used in F1, are manufactured by hand. Pirelli manufactures by hand wet tires for every single race. And it's what, what's the allocation? Four per driver per weekend? Mm, Yeah. And we see those wet tires, given what's been going on right now, those wet tires go out on the track one, maybe two weekends a year. So most races, the tires aren't used and F1 doesn't recycle. And let's remember, F1 doesn't recycle any of its tires. And when I say recycle, I mean that if a tire doesn't get used in a race weekend, that it comes back in another race weekend. That's not how it works. If a tire isn't used during a race weekend, it gets, according to F1, and I'm using air quotes here, recycled by getting shipped to a factory in the UK where it is destroyed and its components are used to do make something else.
1: So by that math, we have 80 wet tires per weekend mm-hmm. that are produced.
0: And a 24 race season.
1: Figure that two of those races are wet that get used to those wet tires Mm -hmm. so we have 80 tires across 22 races is approximately oh my maths suck right now it was really great when it was going to be 20 races i was going with 20 (laughs) it was 176 no 1760 wet tires did i do that math correct
0: maybe. Yeah. Now, I I will assume cuz I don't know. But I will assume that probably two sets a team are are retained past the season. You know, it's this thing of Ferrari turn or not Ferrari. Pirelli turns around and reserves two of those unused sets per team to get dropped on the car postseason to be used at promotional events or filming or whatever. Because we do know that wet tires tend to get dropped on these cars for those types of tracks. things. So l- let's assume that maybe not every single unused tire gets destroyed and maybe each team is handed eight tires at the end of the season of, here you go for display purposes only.
1: That does not make my math any easier. You no. have around sixteen hundred unused, built but unused, destroyed wet tires a season get made just so that there could in theory have a wet tire at every race.
0: So it, it does. It it begs the question of if you've got your race stewards who are bending over backwards. To not let the cars go out on wet tires. If you've got, like we had in Suzuka, everyone going, oh, the window is just so narrow to run these tires, you're better off going on inters. Do everything you can to get on inters. Why are we making these tires? And you know, I, I I get safety is important, and we want to try and run the cars whenever possible. And we want to race and we want to see racing in these conditions because it can make exciting racing. But from the two laps of the race that we saw live before, we, and, and we've seen this before. Yeah, okay, it's fine if you're up at the front of the pack. But the mid-back, mid-pack teams, that visibility was shocking. Well, all right, it was shocking from what we could see from that in-car camera. Now, the one thing that, that I will say, and we, we talked about this a little bit, is I think that in-car camera makes the conditions wor- look worse than they actually are. And I say that only because if you think about it, the camera has a little window that it's it, it's a lens that is sitting behind a window that is what? The size of a postage stamp? Okay. And the drivers have a full visor. And they have a visor and a helmet that is not just part of the aerodynamic structure of the car, but, you know, it's channeling air around the driver's head, and that is having some impact on their visibility. Mm-hmm. So I don't think what the drivers actually see is quite as bad as what the in-car camera sees that's broadcasting. But it ain't great. Yeah. And when you're running on full wets, given that they're designed to move that much more water than he enters, it means the spray is that much worse. So why do we have them? Just just acknowledge. Formula One doesn't want to race on wets. We're only going to do inters.
1: Okay. And so then the other side of the argument would be, okay, you get rid of the wet tires. So now you've got a race that really requires wet tires.
0: You're red flagged and you're not running.
1: And that gives you the potential of having a spa weekend of last year.
0: It does. But which makes better sense? And and honestly, yeah, it gives you the potential of having a spa weekend. But I think at that point, it makes it more likely that instead of forcing yourself to have an event, you go, yeah, it's raining too hard. We're not having an event. And you don't bend over backwards to push the cars out just to turn around and say, well, we had a race.
1: Well, and that was the complaint about SPA of last year was, mm-hmm. well, they ticked the box. They had a race, but
0: they didn't really have a race. But bringing up SPA is, is a, a good point because we had a change in the rules. We had a couple of changes in the rules around how points were assessed in, in, and and this incredibly complicated formula that, you know, I think it says a lot by the fact that when Sky is trying to tell everybody how this is going to work and how things are set up and what the formulas look like, they've got, you know, David Croft has on the wall, what, 10 sheets of paper of diagrams and rules printouts, and he's turning around behind him as he's talking to the fans and explaining this. He's like, I need to go and look at the rule book so I get this completely right. Yeah. You built a fairly complex system here.
1: Well, I'm I'm sorry. It used to be. It's in, even worse. In ye oldie days, it used to be There was a point in the race where we went from the potential of half points Mm -hmm. to full points. One tipping point. Mm -hmm. We now have a situation where there are four different levels of point allocation depending on how far in the race we get before it ends. And it's, it's not just that, though. I know.
0: Because, but that's you know, just
1: one complicating factor.
0: I, I understand that when you think about it from the perspective of we're going to try and race, we're going to try and get out there and do everything we can. But, you know, we've seen three times this year race has been delayed by rain and folks have looked at each other going, well, okay, we've got these formulas and we still don't know what's going on, you know? Yeah, Monaco's problem was the fact that it rained just before the start and they had a massive power failure, and that broke communications. But even still, you had everybody looking around at each other going, what's the deal here? When are we going to start? What's happening? Why are we waiting? And it was that la- there was that complete and total lack of transparency. Mm-hmm. So we go to Singapore, and complete and utter confusion to start with over... Well, when did the clock start? What's supposed to be happening here? What does this mean for for timing? How long can we go? All of that stuff. Because, well, we changed the race clock. And the race clocks, okay, they make sense. I get that. But we changed how they worked and nobody understood the language that was used Mm -hmm. to change how they work and change how stuff starts. Because it used to be pretty clear race scheduled start is at this time at that time the clock is supposed to start. Michael Massey went and tweaked that without a rule bo- package behind him. now we've got a rule package that gives them the ability to tweak that and everyone's going we still don't understand what's going on
1: here mm-hmm.
0: so we get to Suzuka with once again a championship potentially on the line. Now, admittedly, we've got more races in the season and if the championship wasn't decided this weekend, we knew where it's going.
1: Right.
0: But I got it. If I was Max Verstappen this morning, if if I was, and and I say it this way. You'd have a lot
1: of explaining to do.
0: Well, there's that too. (laughs) I I say that because I, I don't exactly know how Max feels, but if I was Max, on one hand, I would be absolutely stoked at the fact that I won second Drivers Championship and I did it so decisively and so early in the season and you know, had the season that I did. On the other hand I would be absolutely livid both at Formula One and the FIA over their rules and The controversies that honestly should not be happening right now around clinching my championship if I was Max Verstappen. And I'd also, of course, be really pissed off at Red Bull for potentially screwing up their accounting and causing additional controversy on my first title.
1: Well... If I believed in my heart that Max had a single self-aware bone in his body, which I do not, I would tell you... I think he does. I would tell you that if you woke up and you were Max Verstappen and with your self-aware bones in your body, the very fact that you have back-to-back world championships would not overshadow the fact that you have back-to-back world championships that have occurred under controversy, yeah, and I don't necessarily hear that from Max. Well,
0: um, Ma- Max is keeping his mouth shut right now, and, which and, is
1: the most mature I've ever seen Max be. Um, and
0: and that's the thing when it comes to self awareness, the fact that Max isn't up inventing right now, I think, is actually really smart.
1: Well, it's, it's it's more of a maturity thing of of Max these days. But that's a change for Max. I'm yeah. not sure he's self-aware. I honestly believe that he is, I am the world champion, isn't that awesome. It doesn't matter how it occurred. It just is awesome. And I don't think it's quite sunk in that there's going to be pen- pundits in 10, 12 years when he is his star has faded that are going to say, you know, that Max Verstappen guy, he was a really great driver, but you notice that he only won championships when there was controversy.
0: Honestly, not only do I not think that, that he cares about that. I don't think that's actually going to matter mm-hmm. because at the end of the day,
1: he's the champion. Uh-huh,
0: that, that's what the record books say, you know, Again, look at 2016. The record books say Nico Rosberg won the championship. Not the, and that's what everybody focuses on. Even though Lewis won more races. Even though Lewis had ridiculous breakdowns throughout the year and all kinds of strokes of bad luck. The record books still say Nico Rosberg was the 2016 world champion. And nothing is going to change that. Now, for Max to be pissed off at Red Bull yeah I I think he has a right to be because if it comes down that one of the things that is one of the penalties that is assessed is that Red Bull loses points and that puts his his first world championship in jeopardy over something that he didn't do he has every right to be pissed off at at, at Red Bull for that
1: well, and that's the other question. If you kind of start going back to our top story, if, if the FIA truly wants to make the point that this is serious and yet balance the books that they don't change the results from last year, they assess a point deduction just to the point where Max is still champion Red Bull maintains whatever spot Red Bull finished. I think they finished second last year. Um, They maintain that spot, but they lose the traction for it. That's the way you do it. You keep everything. Okay. If Max won and he won by more than a point, but if he won by five points, and I know it was more than that, I think you assess him four. You close the margin and say, okay, well, it doesn't change anything, but this is the risk you run. When you go over the cap, we have the ability to take your points away. See, we've done it.
0: Yeah. I don't know,
1: but it'll be a reprimand.
0: Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll we'll see how that plays out. But, you know, this year, this championship that Max won this weekend was controversial in its own right. And, and again, not because of Max and Max was going to win this. It -hmm. was a question of whether or not he clinched it in this rain-shortened race, that he clinched it in Suzuka or he clinched, clinched it at the next race in Austin. Right. But it was going to happen. But when the teams are looking at each other and they're going, we're not sure that the race actually ended. We're not sure how many points are being assessed for this race that it wasn't until the post-race interview that Max found out he won the championship.
1: But but wait, there's, a, there's another piece of this puzzle. Okay. Because, yes, it was the post-race interview that Max found out that he was a champion, but wasn't that because there was a penalty that was assessed that pushed Charles back?
0: Well, that was part of it.
1: And so, because he needed a margin.
0: He he needed a margin, but he also needed a full points race.
1: Well, I thought it was without... It's both. I thought, and the statistics being what they are, I had heard that if he got a full points race and won the extra point, he didn't... It, he just had to win with the extra point regardless of what anybody else did. But if Correct. somebody else... If he didn't have a full points race, he had to have a margin over Charles.
0: Right. He was not. Go- so, and, and what you're talking about, and this is why it's important. There needed to be a full points race and a specific margin over Charles. If Charles came in second, he wouldn't have had a sufficient margin to um, clinch the championship in a full points race. there was a partial points race, that margin is even greater because Max would have gotten fewer points. So what happened was Charles got a penalty. He, he finished in second, got a penalty that pushed him back to third and moved Sergio Perez up to second. If it was a partial point race, Charles being in third would have kept Max from clinching the title in a full points race, it would not have impacted it, and that's what occurred. Okay. So full points, Charles finishes third, which is what happened after the penalty, Max wins. Full points race, Charles uh, finishes second, he wouldn't have clinched it.
1: Okay. I, I did follow you.
0: Okay, because you're you're giving me this look like you didn't understand and, and I missed something.
1: Yeah, my point was the penalty for Charles was put in after the fact, right? It no. pushed him down.
0: No, it was not put in after the fact.
1: Okay, I would know this if no. I got to see the, the race. And, but. <laughs> and that's the thing,
0: Charles got the penalty, and he got, and it was a five second penalty, and it was assessed. It was in the last two laps of the race, two or three laps of the race. Um, It was assessed, um, and I think, and everybody knew that before the the pre-race interviews, or the post-race interviews, rather, that that penalty was there. The question was, was it a full points race? And everybody's initial thought, based on the change in the rules and what we were told the intention was in the change in the rules this would not be a full points race the FIA assessed that it was a full points race so where the confusion comes in and what happened so the way things were written and and i need to find the exact the exact wording All the team or, or a number of the teams had the impression that the regulation that changed after last year's Belgian Grand Prix to award fewer points for shorter races would come into play, because everybody's understanding was that if the race was not run full distance, had to be run at least seventy-five percent, the we'd we'd have fewer points.
1: If it was over 75% of the race, you got full points.
0: And less than 75%, you didn't, you you had reduced points. Correct. However, the way the rule was written, and this is what, what confused everybody, is that that only applies if a race is red flagged and cannot be restarted. Because the race was red flagged and restarted, as the rule is written, it's not the, what the intention was or everybody's understanding of the intention. But because the race was restarted, the 75% rule did not come into effect.
1: Okay. I did hear something about that it was the difference between what they all thought they agreed to exactly. and what the lawyer actually wrote.
0: The strict interpretation of the, the rule as written is that if a race is suspended and cannot be resumed within the time limit then it it's based on the distance that was completed and if you complete 75% of that race distance then you would get full points otherwise you go to these formulas for reduced completion since the race was resumed even though it was resumed Within that three-hour window and resulted only in 40 minutes of racing, and they did not go the full distance, it was still resumed. So the, the rule did not kick in.
1: Mm.
0: Nobody understood that. The media didn't understand that. The teams didn't understand that. And then on top of it, trying to understand exactly when, when that clock runs out, they're supposed to bring out the checkered flag. The teams thought they had another lap. So that was the other question was the fight that was going on and and impacted some pit stop strategies. Um, It impacted some fights that were going on. Um, Even Red Bull apparently radioed to Max that the checkered flag came out. They weren't really sure that it was supposed to and they wanted him to keep pushing on what was technically an outlap at that point. Mm-hmm. And that's the other issue that's going on and and i think it, it's something else that the fia really needs to look at because what they did with these rules when they pushed them out in the off season is they turned around and said okay we're going to change it we're going to come up with this formula this is the rule that we put out there and now we're going to wait mm-hmm. and we're going to wait until the scenario pops up because you know we can't write for every single scenario We're going to wait for the scenario to pop up and we'll test it and we'll see if it works and, you know, maybe we'll tweak it. And I think that's the problem. You run into these situations that you didn't, you write the rules in anticipation of these situations, but you don't actually test it. You don't actually validate that things are going to go the way you think they're going to go and people are going to understand it or what the flaws are in your system until you've actually got to go and exercise this stuff. So why, and and my recommendation to the FIA here, and I think they should be listening really well. Mohammed bin Salim, you you should hear this. It's a really good idea. Organizations, whether it's first responders, whether it's companies, whatever, they regularly have exercises to test their procedures in the event of, unexpected things they have tabletop exercises so why not turn around during winter testing and have when you know you've got three days of of driver testing that they're on the track with the teams that it's a single driver in a single car out on the track and they're testing that stuff why not also have at the same time three days of tabletop exercises for your rules in your three-hour window that you're supposed to have a race, gather in representatives from the race stewards and representatives from the marshals and from race control and representatives for each of the team bosses and representatives from the GDPA and from various outlets in the media and say, okay, we're going to do a tabletop exercise of arraign impacted event in pick a track. And tomorrow, our tabletop is going to be beautiful weather, but all our communications go down or we lose our links back to FIA headquarters. What do we do? And the next day is going to be, you know, a major incident out on track. What do we do? and exercise your rules and get everybody to understand what the rules actually are and how you're going to communicate, not just to the teams, but to the fans and to the media when you've got to make these decisions.
1: I have an amazing idea. Like we're talking.
0: I thought that was my, the amazing idea.
1: I'm going to take your idea and up it.
0: I have we're gonna up our standards now up yours yes really
1: I have (laughs) the newest bestest idea for a home game (laughs) I do it is like Dungeons and Dragons for F1 we can do a whole role playing exercise. Somebody has to be Michael Mossy. They have to sit in another room. They're exiled. I
0: can't be Michael Mossy.
1: Yeah, because they have to sit gone. in another room. They're exiled.
0: It's going to be the, <laughs> the shambolic F1 weekend home game.
1: Yes. Yes. You have a race director that designs these types of scenarios. You have race car drivers on the track. There's cards. There's things that happen. And you roll a dice and it goes, it's raining. And now you everybody's off the track getting new tires.
0: So in other words, a tabletop exercise.
1: Yes, what we could do it at the home game. We could sell it and market it. And it would make us bazillions of dollars. Okay. Here's the problem. I have no way to test the rules that I just created about our
0: home game. <laughs> That's the point.
1: <laughs> so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna release this game out into the world and let people argue. And since it'll be at home, they'll have their internal fist fights inside their own houses. Yeah. There you go. <clears throat>
0: But in all seriousness, I think it's a this great is what idea. Form, I mean. Why not do that during winter testing? Uh,
1: hello, why not do that in the summer break? Why not do it routinely? Well, no, no routinely. You, you can't do it too
0: much. I mean, I mean that's the thing. When 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 a lot most companies and most you know emergency response teams that do these things they do them once a year, but for F1 they've got a scenario where all of these folks are in the same place doing F1 stuff without having an impact on the team so you're not really in, you, you're not necessarily creating an additional burden on any of the teams I mean cuz that's one of the other things well you know now I got to spend budget on this you don't need to do that the teams are already there the team principal should be able to spare three hours during a test session or a senior member of the team. There's no reason that you can't have representatives from the media there. G- your GDPA representatives are folks who are not driving for the team that day because the team only puts one driver in a car at a time. So for three hours, you can do this in a trackside environment Without impacting the testing, without impacting the racing, without impacting anything, and everybody's there.
1: But you can't do it while the driver's are on the track, even a single driver at a single time. You can't do it then, because the race director has to focus on what's going on in the track.
0: There are other things that are going on. You have two race directors, number one. So you only need one of them. But number two, since this is not for points, this is just... The race director is only needed in testing to determine, you know, do we yellow flag? Do we red flag? Do we pull out, um, you know, do we keep the session going? That's it. It's not not like they need somebody who's got to, you know, keep things moving. They will throw a red flag for a car going even slightly off track. You don't need an F1 qualified race director to run the testing sessions at winter testing at any track. You could have somebody from WEC come in to determine, yeah, the track is safe. We can go ahead and let them race. Or, yeah, there's an incident. We need to bring marshals out, stop everything, bring the mar- and, and and go forward and do that. You can free up your F1 race directors to accommodate this.
1: I I would argue that trying to do it in tandem with cars on the track. Now, during the same weekend, maybe that works. Maybe it is, you know, at the end of the day. You can do that too. You know, when cars aren't on the track and everybody's done, buy everybody some dinner and sit mm-hmm. them around a table and go, okay, this is what's going on. But yes, I understand and agree with you this idea of, let's theoretically put this stuff to the test and see how it works in reality or in pseudo reality Mm -hmm. i i I like your idea i think it's a great idea um you know my thought is f1's the pinnacle of motorsport and they have a lot of really high-powered computers I am wondering if there is not a scenario that you could actually input this stuff into a computer and go, okay. So, what's the next decision point after this? What happens? Well, if you do that,
0: but but what you won't see in in something like that, and 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 I'm not even sure they could even do it. But what you won't see is that thing of, you know, oh, crud we didn't put something out to the world feed and on timing and scoring. And the pundits are looking at each, you know, the commentators are looking at each other going, we don't know what's going on. And the fans are confused because we haven't put anything out that the fans have access to that they can see and that the media has access. We told the teams, but we didn't send it out to the media. That's the kind of thing. And and the same thing with reason why I think there should be representatives from the media as well is because it allows them to weigh in and go, Hey, we're thinking that maybe, you know, we need to share this piece of it. Or we, you know, did you think about communicating this? Because nobody understands what's happening. And, you know, if the teams are asking this question, maybe we're asking it too. And it's, how are you going to, those are the, that's why you do these kind of exercises is to ant- for, for everybody to be sitting in the room and go, well, okay, if that just happened, what do I need to do on my side? And did you guys, are, are you giving me the inputs I need to do what I need on my side? And I don't think you can predict that with a computer. So if that was the only controversy we had, that would be awesome. Because the other piece of controversy and there, there was some confusion. And, and I, I get the, the, the frustration about the advertising holding, hitting Pierre Gasly's car. It, it, it was bad. I don't think, to, to me, that wasn't the egregious issue. The egregious issue that, to me, was the tractor. And the fact that there was a recovery vehicle in the pouring rain that came onto the track and we were not in a red flag. Not only were we not in a red flag condition, we were not in a condition that really, well, even in a yellow flag, we shouldn't have cars on track in the rain and recovery vehicles on track, especially in Suzuka.
1: Well, that's the, that's the thing is everybody's hypersensitive because it is a Suzuka. Um, but you're right. The very fact that there was a recovery vehicle on the track at the same time that the cars were on the track and we were mm-hmm. not even in, we weren't in a red flagged condition. It, it was, that to me, is just a miscommunication of a
0: massive proportion. And let's not forget. So, you know, we go back a couple of years and one of the reasons why everyone is upset and why I make the big deal that it was Suzuka was that it was at Suzuka in the pouring rain, and I want to say it was towards the end of the race, because I don't think the race had ended at that point. But it, no, it was under safety car conditions, mm-hmm. where a recovery vehicle was within the boundaries of the track because they were not on the track proper. They were in, I think, the gravel, recovering a car, and Jules Bianchi lost control and hit the car or hit the the tractor days before the halo and it cost Jules his life
1: yeah
0: and you know you've got folks like Charles leclerc who grew up with jewel and was was close friends with Jules bianchi and the bianchi family and a lot of other drivers who knew him it was a big hole and a big impact it was the last time that we lost a driver on the track and it was something that was utterly avoidable Exactly. And then this weekend, in the pouring rain, we have a tractor on the track with cars on the track driving at higher speeds. They weren't under safety car conditions. They were on a yellow flag at most.
1: Right. And visibility being what it is, um, I mean, in the rain, they just Mm -hmm. cannot see well enough to know where they're going. And then you have advertising boards that, pop out. I mean, that's... And, you
0: know, the incident with Yule, and, and, and this is why folks are upset, is it wasn't because he couldn't see it. It was because the track was so wet, he lost control. Right. So you've got a situation where cars were not even traveling at the same kind of restricted speeds that that incident occurred, and a tractor came out. Mm-hmm. So the GDP is obviously royally ticked off over this. Um Pierre Gasly was beside himself.
1: Well, and he's in that class with Jewel. he's of that age group.
0: Mm-hmm. Um Well, he was a little younger, but yeah, he he definitely knew him. Yeah. And and knew the history. Um he was beside himself and everybody thought it was because of the sign, but actually no. <laughs> and you know, he he was right to be upset over that the FIA's response has been, well, we're going to investigate it. Which, which says to me that this quickly, that they didn't know what happened, and, and or or at least that they know when all they're going to say is we're going to investigate it, is that they know they screwed up. Yeah. And they screwed up big. Because, hey, think about when the fire truck came on in Korea that year and was leading the race. <laughs> The FIA was really quick to go, um, yeah, they went before we told them. We told them to get ready. We didn't tell them to go. They went anyway. <laughs> not our fault. This time, they were not so quick to say, um, yeah, so.
1: All right. We need to get off this <laughs> this uh, downer moment. And we're coming up against how long our show was last week. Um, so I think you told me that we need to round up some driver information.
0: Sure. So we've got driver news. Um, really weren't surprised by the first one. And that was Alpine confirming that Pierre Gasly will be joining the team and replacing Fernando Alonso. Okay. Um, and Otmar has come out and said that he really hopes that Pierre and... Esteban rekindle their friendship from karting.
1: oh my that does not sound good yeah okay
0: I have to wonder if Otmar's gonna get unceremoniously removed from that team in the next couple of years because I've been less than impressed with with his performance and his
1: well his intuitive insight is uh, not great
0: yeah very much less impressed with Otmar now that he's left Aston Martin.
1: Which is sad because I did like Otmar at Aston.
0: Um, but the other bit of news would be who would be replacing Pierre at Alpha Tori. So it was announced that Nick DeVries will be joining the team. Which, for starters, I think is the first time that we've heard of somebody making the jump from Formula E into Formula One. Mm-hmm. And that, that's that's pretty big in its own right. Um, but it sounds like the one that Nick really has to thank for this opportunity is Max Verstappen.
1: Really? Why?
0: So word is, and it sounds like it's been confirmed by Helmut Marco that after Nick's performance in Monza, it was Max who picked up the phone and called Helmet and said, "You need to get Nick."
1: Interesting.
0: And it happened that fast, in that it was after Monza. Helmet reached out to Nick, and things moved.
1: Interesting. Yes. Who would have thought Max was a a, a mover and shaker?
0: Apparently he was. And yeah, Nick DeVries has Max Verstappen to thank for his seat in Formula One.
1: I don't know if I'd want to be beholden to Mr. Verstappen. I
0: don't know if he's necessarily beholden. I don't know. However, on the other side, Daniel Ricciardo has acknowledged that he will not be returning to the Formula One grid for 2023. Now, not that he is stepping away from Formula One, just that he will not have an active race seat. I assume he's probably going to get signed by somebody as a reserve.
1: I mean, that makes good sense to me. It does. Mm -hmm. I think people would be really smart to pick him up as a reserve driver. But I've also gotten the sense that he's kind of fallen out of love right now. Yeah. And I think he needs a year off to find himself.
0: And, you know... That's the question with Daniel not is that, yeah, I think he's fallen in love, but given all of the other interests that he has, and yes, he's not a Lewis Hamilton with all the, all of, you know, the fashion and, and the songwriting and the other pieces, but Daniel's got his own things that he likes to dabble in that are not motorsport is If he steps away from Formula One and he gets to really focus on some of these other things that excite him, is he going to want to come back?
1: Yeah. I don't know. That's a question. I mean, didn't Jensen Button kind of go through that?
0: No, Jensen... He
1: took a year and then he said, I'm not... He came back for like a race and then he's like, I'm done.
0: No, actually what he did was... In that year, he went to, I think it was Super Formula in Japan. He was talking about those Mm -hmm. experiences this weekend. When he left Formula One, he went to go race in Japan. Right. um, And spent some time in the U.S. and doing other stuff. Um, He was never planning on coming back to Formula One. Um, It's just a matter of when Jensen decided that he wanted to step away from motorsport, from actively racing is, I guess, the best way to put it. But when Jensen retired from, from McLaren, he still was involved, and he's still involved in motorsport. He's, I think, the drive. well, he's a driver coach over at Williams. Um, so he speaks to um, Alex Albin all the time and Nick Latifi because he's part of their coaching and driver development piece, but as a mentor, not as a driver.
1: So I got the impression if I remembered his video statement that his first round like when he left McLaren that year it was it was really around the I'm not sh- I'm, I'm going to go and and do other things because I'm not sure I'm done with Formula 1 yet and he came back and he did a race or two um to fill in and he, he did then- the,
0: he did the one for Fernando Alonso In Monaco when Fernando Fernando went to go drive in Indy and and he told Fernando he was going to wean a seat.
1: Right. He came back and he did that. And that was the time. Then he came out and said, yeah, I think I'm done. I'm done with Formula One. Not, you know, done, done. Like he was behind the scenes. He was done being a driver. But I remember that video was very cryptic about whether or not he was done, done. So maybe that's what Daniel needs.
0: I don't know. We'll see where he goes. I mean, he's he's been... We, we've heard some potential flirtation with NASCAR. Um, but also, we've heard from him of, well, I really don't want to race on Oval. So, I don't know. Mm. We'll see what happens.
1: Are there any open driver seats left?
0: There is one left. Um, and that is the seated Haas. Mm, the one um, that
1: Mick is fighting Hulkenberg for right now.
0: Yeah. Now, there was an interesting comment that... Um, We heard from Gunther Steiner this week. He said, quote, I'm done with rookies for now. Now, Mick, I don't think you'd consider a rookie. This would be his third season in F1. Um, But it does make it clear that they're not going to bring in somebody from F2, I think. Mm -hmm. So, not that Haas was ever going to bring back Santino Ferrucci, but Santino Ferrucci was definitely out of the picture. Um. And in our last story, mm-hmm. um, and given the backers, I'm really kind of surprised. Um, so we had talked about last year when the W Series calendar was released that this year the last two races w- were going to be first for the W Series. One was going to be in Austin. The other was going to be in Mexico City. Um, and the season finale was going to be Mexico City. They're not happening. Really? W Series, after their inaugural race in Singapore, has ended their season early because they've run out of money.
1: Uh-oh.
0: So um, what they have announced is that in order to... So there was a commercial partnership that they say that they were expecting that fell through. Was and it with Rich Energy? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's the thing is, I thought one of the backers behind this was David Cothard. Yeah. So, David, okay. where's, the, where's the money, David?
1: Maybe David was a backer, but not a major sponsor.
0: Yeah. Um, so, that deal fell through. Uh, so, they've said that to focus on the longer-term fundraising process to enable the longevity and financial health of the series and beyond... And enable cost cutting. They were canceling the remaining races of the year.
1: Uh-oh. That does not bode well.
0: So the end of the season means that Jamie Chadwick, who is already 50 points clear of the drivers' championship standings, is now the de facto W series champion. And I love the fact that they, they they put in a statement, and well, yes, it's accurate. They put in a statement that it means that Jamie is the record-breaking third-time champion of the series.
1: She's also the only champion of the series. Right,
0: because the series only been around for three years. <laughs> I mean, I get that, yes, technically that does make it record-breaking, but when your record is three because you've only had three seasons, it's... You know, every year's... I mean, the first time that she did it, it was record-breaking. And the second year that she did and I mean, come on.
1: Yeah, but the very fact, here's what bothers me. And we're going to end on this note, I'm sure. Here's what bothers me. She's a third time W Series champion. Mm -hmm. She can't get a drive even in F2?
0: Well, and, and that becomes the question about the W Series. And it's always been a lingering question about W Series. Because, yeah, they created it. With this idea of we want to raise the profile of women driving in motorsport. And by raising the profile, we can hopefully give them an avenue. But they never, it doesn't sound like they ever sat down with the FIA and said, okay, W Series is A, going to count for X number of super license points. And B is going to fit in this spot in your development ladder into any of the top tier series
1: and that's the problem and and that is the problem mm-hmm. and that's why I'm, I'm going to tell you I don't know who their sponsors are I don't know where the money is coming from but I'm going to tell you that's why they're fighting for money right now that they're struggling for money had they had in the first three years any transition mm-hmm. of any female driver to F3 F2 hold on to your horses F1 they would be flush with money Because it would have been an avenue. It would have been a proven avenue. But until it is a proven avenue, they will
0: struggle. Well, it's where they need to build W to be similar in stature as F2. Mm -hmm. Is W needs to be positioned as just as important a feeder series into F1 as F2 is. And You know, I'm not suggesting that what they should be doing... Well, actually, maybe what they should be doing is something similar to um, the Indie Feeder Series. Not to the same extent. So, if you're not familiar with how the the Indie Feeder Series works, it's uh, the Indie Pro... Actually, it's F2000 Mm -hmm. to Indie Pro to Indie Lights up into Indie, and... The way it works there is if you win your championship, whichever one of those series in, you are guaranteed a seat in the next series above. It may not be a full season seat, but you are guaranteed a seat in the next season above. So if you say win the Indy Lights as, as the one that is directly below IndyCar, if you win that series, you are guaranteed that you are going to race in some number of races because w- with IndyCar it's not a guarantee that you race all season. Um, but you are guaranteed some number of races you will get in an indie IndyCar and race in an IndyCar event mm-hmm. and from there can open up the door. Now what we see is a lot of these drivers that win the series, they get full season rides. but it's not guaranteed. it is guaranteed though you will get some races. I'm not suggesting that Formula 1 do that with Formula 2. I don't think that that's the right approach. But maybe the right approach is for F3 and for W to have that kind of a partial season guarantee into F2. Mm -hmm. With the idea being F2 is that true stage to get into F1. And if we can at least make sure that we're guaranteeing that these folks get into f2 we're guaranteeing that they get visibility at the tier that feeds into formula one because w ain't doing it
1: right and that's the problem is what i don't get a good sense of is w has to be equivalent to something Mm -hmm. is it equivalent to uh, to f3 is it equivalent to the the super
0: license points because there's got to be some super licensing but i think it's fairly low
1: Right. And that's the question is, if that series is a, you know, what level is it competitive to? And then what's the next level above that? That's where you go. Is it but F, if W is an alternative to F3? Then yes, you're right. Feeding into F2 would be a big deal.
0: Well, the the other thing that I want to be very careful of, because I do not support W series being a dedicated path into Formula 1. And I don't because F2 already exists. And that's the whole point of F2. Mm -hmm. So from that perspective of making sure that women have a path into F2, I support W Series for that. And with the idea being that if they can break into F2 because they've got a guaranteed seat because they win or whatever, it gets them the visibility and the potential to get into F1. I like that. But to turn around and for a team to, for a Formula One team to go, we're going to grab Jamie Chadwick, say Haas, turns around and says, we're going to grab Jamie Chadwick and we're going to bypass the top three finishers in F2. I'm not sure that that's an equivalency. But to turn around and say, Jamie's been guaranteed to move into F2 and She's been kicking butt over in F2. Well, then absolutely, you need to move her up, but give her the chance in F2. And I don't think they've done that. If F2 is supposed to be the proving ground, give them the avenue to get into F2 to be that proving ground.
1: Yes. Exactly. But if the W Series is equally as rigorous as F2, if if winning the W Series gets you a test in the in f1 and you're outpacing the top three finishers of f2 you better believe you should be able to to make the the job
0: but there's no way to do that equivalency with them being two separate series that don't run the same equipment and the same type of races and the same kinds of weekends. That that that's why I don't think that W should be treated that way. I think it should be treated as a feeder into F two, so that you've got that. And you know, you run into that same problem with bringing people over from IndyCar into Formula One because IndyCar is a very different rule set and a different type of cars and different type of atmosphere than even F two. So how do you turn around and as much as yes, a lot of Formula One drivers when they retire, go down to IndyCar. How do you turn around and say that somebody who came through the IndyCar sees or the IndyCar feeder ladder is equivalent to somebody in F2 Mm -hmm. or is equivalent to somebody in F1 because they made it all the way up and they're in IndyCar and they've won the 500. How do you say that? And it's, that's something that, that, I don't know how you square that circle.
1: Mm, I agree with you. I don't know how you do that.
0: So on that discussion point, for you all to take back and think of over the next week, we'll call it a show.
1: Jensen, Jensen, my friend, I'm sure you wanted to hear my voice before starting the race. Uh, just wishing you the best of luck. We follow you here on television. You did amazing yesterday. So, yeah, please, oh, fun, thank you. friend, take care of my car. <laughs> <laughs> OK, I'm going to pee in your seat.
0: <laughs> no,
1: please. <laughs> have fun. You did amazing. Cheers, job. man. Amazing job. And you, buddy. Congratulations. And you, buddy. Have a good one.
0: And thanks to them. All right. Thank bank... you. Good luck. That's...
1: Thanks, buddy. And you. Stay safe.
0: That's the quote thank of the you. season. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>